0: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next installment of the podcast series. Today I welcome to the show Gary Nesbitt. Gary has been involved at the elite level of sport for over 20 years now and certainly knows a thing or two about the mindset when working with elite athletes. Gary has worked with the police force, football teams and top professional squash players so far in his career. Gary is the fitness director for the global online coaching platform squashskills.com as well as working individually with several of the world's top men and women players in the game today. On the show we go deep with one single topic, injuries and in particular, the mindset needed before and during injuries in a career. We've all become pretty good with the knowledge and scientific understanding of injuries, but maybe not enough has been explored in regard to the importance the mental state plays with how to cope positively with injuries. Gary does a fantastic job bringing the subject to life in this insightful and deep thinking episode. He eloquently describes tips and strategies athletes should employ about how best to get into the right state mentally when injuries inevitably happen in a career. It's not an easy thing for an athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd hope by the end of this conversation that listeners are better armed with tools how best to mentally get through injuries, short or long term, and to even be able to come through the other side stronger and better. Gary talks about how when seen through the right lens, injuries are opportunities for growth and discovery, but only when the athlete uses the right tools and has the right support network around them. We also explore how and when an athlete should get back to playing and competing, as well as how best to try and overcome the PTSD of injuries, as well as the fear of re-injury. Thanks once again to Gary for giving us his time and his knowledge on the show today, and I look forward to some future episodes with him also. Please enjoy. Gary Nesbitt welcome to the next episode of the podcast series thanks for joining me man and um I know we've got a, had a lot of offline chats about it we go way back uh with each other and it's just a great opportunity to get to sit and talk and and uh kind of unpack your brain a little bit in regard to the injuries and the mental side of injuries but I think a good place to start for those that might not have come across you would you mind giving a brief introduction to yourself
3: yeah sure thanks for having me on Jess. it's a privilege to come in and chat to you um So, yes, I'm Gary Nisbet. I've been working in uh, sports and fitness now for around uh, 20 years. I started uh, from like a a commercial fitness kind of standpoint. I was working in gyms, managed gyms, personal training uh, and gradually kind of moved over to become more of a strength and conditioning uh, specialist. So working primarily with athletes. Uh, I worked for the Metropolitan Police for a couple of years as a physical training instructor. Um, and then, yeah, my work now has gradually moved over to, to sports people, uh, mainly squash. Uh, I work for the online website Squash Gills. I've worked with a number of, of top professional squash players, uh, football. I've worked with several professional clubs, Wickham Wanderers, Fulham, uh, and I have private clients from from other sports as well. So yeah, I think strength and conditioning is is a huge field. But mm. as I hope we're going to explore today, there, there's a lot of uh, a mental component to that kind of of work and that kind of environment as well.
0: Yeah, totally. And um, I think you're you're well placed to to really dive into this. Not just the physiological aspect, which uh, you know you're you're an expert in that field, but when I've, I've kind of spoken and I've read some of your articles, you definitely explore the mental side of, of these aspects, which I find fascinating. And um, like I said, at the start, we're going to really, really drill into injuries today. It's, it's like I said to you before we started, it's probably one of my weakest areas. It's, it's, you know, touch wood. I was lucky enough when I was a player, I really didn't ever get that injured. I never really had to worry about it. So I never had to pay attention to it. But now just with myself, my body getting a bit older, but also some of the clients I work with the injury conversation coming up a lot. So, you know, I thought a great time to sit down and have a chat about this. So um, before we really dive in when athletes get injured, I think a nice starting point would be to spend a little bit of time talking to you and discussing what athletes should do to avoid injuries in the first place. So obviously we're going to go in and we're going to unpack it when an athlete becomes injured, but any tips we can explore about injury prevention? That's probably a nice place to re- really kick us off. Yeah, I mean, I think coming... From that sports uh, conditioning background,
3: um, definitely the, the, the psychology is, is something that I talk about and I try and support athletes with. Uh, and obviously having, you know, professionals that, that can deal with that more specifically. But when we're talking about kind of the, the, the pre-phase, we're talking about even before that that injury, hopefully before that injury occurs. One of the biggest things I talk about in my kind of physical professional practice Uh, is the importance of strength and the importance of training to be stronger and that means getting in the gym and you know not doing your your bodybuilder workouts and not doing an hour on the treadmill you know getting in there and and building the strength of your muscles and the strength of your joints you know Mm -hmm. all of the research says that the, the primary factor in preventing injury is being stronger you know if our bodies are strong and robust then we're much less likely to suffer from injuries in the first place. And and that's, you know, one of the key kind of foundations of of my
0: strength and conditioning work. Mm. And um, when you, when you say strength, because I think this is probably worth clarifying and defining what strength is because yes, you probably kind of imagine kind of getting there, stacking the weights up and and just cracking on with it. Um, Again, we can get specific with sport. We can stay a bit zoomed out, but can you just explore, I suppose the definition of strength. If if I ask you that, what, what comes to mind there?
3: It's, it's the ability for the body to tolerate load. Um, if we're loading the, the joints and the muscles up in a controlled environment in the gym, that's going to have a, a, a good transfer over to the forces that your body's going to be exposed to in sport. Mm-hmm. Certainly, as I said, two of the main sports that I work with, squash and football, um, both are very, very demanding on the body. You know, in squash, you've got a lot of twist, turns, lunges, um, sprints, change of direction. Football, similar, but you've got longer sprints. You've got other players. You know contact Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes on there and of course there are certain injuries that you you can't do anything about if you're playing football and someone you know kicks you on your uh, on the side of your leg and they go through you then you know it doesn't matter how strong you are unfortunately that that's going to become an injury risk um but yeah just just when I'm talking about strength training here I'm talking about big compound exercises you know everyone's going to be different but I'm talking about primary exercises like squatting like deadlifting, like pushing pulling Mm -hmm thinking about the body more in terms of a series of movements than as a, a collection of muscles. So when we're training, and this is what I said about the the bodybuilding kind of focuses that people think about training, you know, the bicep muscle and then the quads and then the tricep and, you know, trying to break the body down. But as athletes, we want to be training to make movement stronger. So we've got to kind of identify what are the, the primary building blocks of our, you know, physical movement. And also what are the primary movements that come from each individual sport Um, And, yeah, I think, you know, talking about this when we go on to more of a psychological perspective, but here it's understanding that that is a key part of it. It's physical training, but it's Mm -hmm. understanding from a mental perspective that you have to be doing these things to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And, you know, that's why when when I work with people, we really hammer the importance of getting in the gym, getting stronger, following a proper conditioning plan you know not just picking a bodybuilder workout out of your favorite magazine actually getting something personalized structured for you uh
0: as a as an individual athlete so mm. totally. when it when it does come obviously to the mindset of it it doesn't i think that 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 pre-stuff the 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 theory the education the knowledge is going to have to play a huge part in it isn't it because you know you got to you know help your clients or help people understand that yeah like Yes, we need to understand this first and foremost. You need to understand that strength is a part of it, so yeah, we can deal with injuries later. But let's let's get our bodies right. So where does um, where does flexibility come into the the, the pre stuff? Then, if you, if you obviously you've zoomed into strength straight away and you've kind of jumped on that, but flexibility, what do you think of that?
3: I mean, that, that's sort of the bigger picture, isn't it? It's identifying what are the key physical attributes: endurance, strength, speeds. You know, there, there are so many different things. And with athletes, is getting them to understand, you know, not necessarily what they think are the most important things, but what you know the experts and the research says. Um, so strength is definitely the the primary one, and mobility is an interest yeah, an interesting one. I think there's a lot of myths about mobility, flexibility, stretching, whatever kind of way you want to term it. Um, there's a, quite a a myth that that doing lots of stretching will help you prevent injury. And there's some truth to that if you've got certain areas of the body that that are tight and they're causing problems, but often the tightness that you feel is the symptom of something else. So stretching might relieve some of those symptoms in the short term. Um, but if you're constantly having pain and tightness and issues, that's going to be being caused by something else. Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, it could be something in terms of a faulty movement pattern. It could be something that, that you've got an imbalance of strength somewhere. So while I do include mobility into the programs that I write and certainly, you know, warming up and all that kind of thing, I'm not really an advocate of doing loads and loads of stretching purely because it's not been shown to be hugely beneficial at a high level if you've got time to do it then great but if you've got a limited amount of time to train spending you know 45 minutes a day on on doing tons of stretching and cool downs and all this kind of stuff there Um, and if you're looking at it purely from a a performance perspective and an injury prevention perspective there are more important things to do than spending loads of time just stretching it's a part Mm -hmm. of the package but it's I think a lot of people give it too much emphasis i think a lot of people give give it too much weight when there are other things that are equally and more
0: important nice cool yeah yeah well uh, listen I'm, I'm sitting here today absorbing this knowledge because like i said this is for me uh, like like a, a selfish education piece so i uh, know thanks for kind of helping me out with this as well and um so again we're going to stay quite zoomed out with this but could you share your thoughts around the general mentality athletes should try and develop when coping and dealing with injury so we're gonna we're gonna really dive into this now, but we're gonna start zoomed out and and I've got some specific questions. Yeah, general mentality. Athlete gets injured. What advice would you be giving? What would you be saying to the athletes? I think even before the injury occurs, like I said, you
3: know, I will talk about injuries a lot with people because you know people come to to me as a, a physical strength and conditioning coach, and they want to get stronger, faster. They you know they want to improve their performance. Um, but I always bring it back in that very first conversation, whoever I work with, I'm saying, look, my first goal, my, my primary, what I see my primary role to be is to keep you on the pitch or keep you on the court. Uh, and even before we go off into performance um, focused training, we need to make sure you've got that firm foundation that's going to keep you healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen a lot of athletes over the years, a couple of players that I've worked with in a squash environment that were actually tremendous athletes i'm not going to mention any names but certain players that you know a a lot of people in the squash world would know um that unfortunately have have suffered a lot of injury problems were a lot of it stems from the fact that they didn't do that foundation stuff first so any new athlete i'm working with that's the first thing we get into it's getting them to understand that you know it doesn't matter how much of a, a a brilliant fast powerful fit athlete you are if you're constantly injured it makes no difference because you're not going to be on the pitch. So I think it's having that that mature conversation even with younger players because they're they often even harder to work with because you've got mm-hmm. the parents there and, and and the child and it's having that mature conversation at the start saying injury is a part of sport you will get injured. I, I think I can say that fairly without you know too much question that that every single athlete at some point will have to deal with an injury. So getting that that mental not preparation for it. We don't want to be negative and think about it happening, but we need to understand that it is a part of sport in the same way that training is eating right, you know, turning up on time, doing all of those other things, dealing with injury at some point is going to become a part of that.
0: Mm. Well, it's interesting you say that. And, and I know we're, we're both quite big into the Stoics and the Stoics always talk about, you know, visualizing the negativity, projecting into the future. And actually, it's not a negative thing. It's actually you're, you're inoculating yourself for when that thing does come in. And, and I always think that's really interesting. And, you know, in all, all the years that I was a player, like I never had anyone speak to me, like you would have said, I would have been lovely to have a coach or someone say hey listen you are going to get injured i probably knew it in the back of my head but i think that's a real powerful way to start working with athletes say listen this is part and parcel of competitive sports so you're almost priming the brain for that I, I really like that and um just staying on visualizations you may or may not know this but i, I think i did read somewhere and i'm sure it was was with some some papers and journals and that and feel free to just say no um there's there, there was a school of thought that there's actually a visualization process around the injuries so when an athlete gets injury injured they can actually visualize the muscles repairing and the blood flowing around the muscles and the joints and they did again correct me if I'm wrong but they did find some data that this was proven to work have you come across that
3: yeah i read something similar to that and, and there was another similar but more physical related research that i've read about that if one side is injured and immobilized if you train the other side so if the knee is injured on one side but you train the quadriceps on the other side Mm -hmm. there is some crossover so there's definitely something there um i'm not a massively what's the word sort of a a deeply spiritual energy kind of focused in terms of the the power of the mind i'm i'm I'm, you know much more kind of uh, materialistic and and Mm -hmm. physical based but I do think that what you're saying there, I, I definitely think there's, there's some strength that that comes from the mind. There is that kind of power of, of, of understanding. And, and yeah, I don't know the me- mechanics mm. necessarily of how it works. It's an interesting conversation, but mm. certainly in terms of research, I've, I've seen similar, and as I say, things about training other parts and, you know, there's a lot about the body and mind that, that we don't fully understand and, and how we, how we cope with injury is
0: is a big part of that. So, um, so, so if someone contacts you for some Reiki healing, you're you're not into that vibe, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't deal with Reiki healing. You with know, if, uh, if money short, maybe I'll take it up, but that's not really my, uh, not really my area of expertise. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And um, just just one of the little thread I'd like to pick on is like you've seen a lot of athletes in in your years. You work with a lot of athletes. I always like to think of like the common habits, the common behaviors that, that that lead to success, but also lead to failure. So if we're just looking at it through the lens of injuries, you know, putting you on the spot here, but, but if you could think of any common commonalities that you see with athletes that are either sustain good, healthy bodies or on the inverse that they always getting injured, you might've already mentioned some like strength and stuff. Does, does anything come to mind when I ask that? I mean, first and foremost, there has to be the understanding, like anything in sport and athleticism, that
3: there is going to be a big genetic component. Some people, unfortunately, are going to be more predisposed to injury than others. And, you know, there are a variety of reasons why that is. One of the things I've found and and sort of thought about over the years is the importance of, of early stage education, of getting young players. You don't know if someone's going to become an athlete, but certainly any sport that you play as a young person there's a real responsibility on the coaches to to build that player from the ground up, you know, whether it's a an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, yeah, they want to just run around and kick a ball and, and whack a racket and all those things, which is fine. We're not, we're not training them to be athletes at that stage, but there's a responsibility on the coach to, to get those young players into good habits. They need to understand about the importance of discipline of, of training of, you know, if they want to succeed at anything in life, there has to be a, you know, a, a, an understanding of there's a lot more that goes into it than just running around the pitch or running around the court. Mm. Um, one of the things that I found very interesting um, when I was working in football, it's probably going back about eight, eight years. Um, I was working with Wickham Wonders at the time and we went out to Spain and we did like a, an educational exchange visit with some of the coaches from a team called Espanol in the, in the Spanish premier league. And, um, and what we found there was really interesting, with our youth setup over here in football, the, the top coaches, the, the head of the youth academy, though, those kind of top guys, they were working with the older players, so the sixteen, seventeen year olds, the ones that are you know preparing to get professional contracts. So their main coaches, you know, over here, we, we, we have that kind of structure. With the Espanol setup, what what they had there was their lead coaches, their kind of head of the youth development section was working with the youngest age groups. He was oh. working with the eight and nine year olds, <laughs> and and we kind of said, "Okay, well that's you know why is that?" and and that's exactly what what they said there, and it, and it really changed my thinking that if they don't get those things right in those younger players. And yeah, they're still making it fun and they're not making it super serious, but they were making sure that all of those young players knew what it meant to be somebody that, that wants to play sport at, at, at any kind of a level. And mm. it just sort of switched my thinking around a little bit that sometimes in this country and, and other places that, you know, we almost take these players on at a later stage when they've had it and they're sucking you know, now we can teach them the, the real professional things but if they haven't had that that grounding if they haven't had that that foundation work put in mm-hmm. um but yeah going back to what your original question they they're not in good habits they're not they're not doing the things that they need to be doing you know working with squash as well chatting with some of the the coaches at the, the sort of elite uh, under 19 level and chatting to one of the guys that I know and he said they brought them all in for a a, a, a sort of national junior training session and he said there were like 17, 18 year olds players there that didn't even know how to warm up. It was like, wow. right, come on guys, go and get warmed up. And they sort of looked at each other and jogged a bit and then stretched their leg a bit. There, there was no, they, mm. they, they didn't know. So to me, you know, there's a huge, um, a huge responsibility on coaches to prepare their players, both physically and mentally um, for
0: those kind of higher performance areas. Awesome. Really, really well said. And yeah, thanks for sharing that story, that, that, that. Uh, it's great to hear that perspective that 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 you've had, and hopefully that message gets out to a few more people now that you've said it. And um, it reminds me of of, of a conversation I had quite recently on, on on the podcast. And I asked a similar question. I said, "What are the common habits and behaviors of of high performers, high achievers, people who achieve great things in their life?" And without blinking, my my guest turned around and said, "Engagement." And we unpacked that a bit and said, "Engagement in like like." like loving the process, like asking the right questions, being like fully, you know, and he actually mentioned injury. He said, if, if the athlete gets injured, they want to know everything about the injury. They, they, they talking to people, they, they understand the muscles that are working, but they engage. If they, if like say the coach was speaking to the team, they would be the ones with the eyes on the coach, writing the notes, go and ask the assistant coach afterwards. So what you said there reflects a little bit with that word engagement. And I think that's, that's a really, really great habit to build from a really early young age, but yes, like you said, coaches and, and, and people in positions of authority can hopefully encourage that engagement or stimulate that part of the young athlete's mind. What do you think of that engagement piece? I think that's, that's a real key thing. And something that that I've become increasingly aware of that,
3: what you said there about asking questions that we want to encourage young people to ask questions. Um, you know, we've all done it. Maybe I've been guilty of it in the past that you're trying to get a drill going and you're trying to get everybody set up and one of the kids kind of puts their hands up, asks a question, and it's it's a question that you've already answered. And, you know, you, know, <laughs> you, maybe, you maybe don't deal with it as, as best as you should. But no, you know, it, it's it's not making... All of the young people in any group that I work with, I want them to be asking questions. I I don't want them to feel any you know nerves about about stepping forward and asking because once they start doing that, um, you know, we're setting them up to become better young athletes. And and again, mm. it's our responsibility as as young people. You know, we're trying to develop that that confidence and that maturity and and that engagement, as you say, in in all
0: areas of their lives. Mm. And yeah, if we if we just keep thinking of that as like a uh, you know, just how they grow as human beings that when they do become injured, when 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 there is difficulties, when there is conflict, when there is stress, you know what? They're probably in a lot better place mentally to handle the stuff, aren't they? You know, they it's not just like they are robotic, you know Elite athletes, and then they get injured. It's like their whole identity's gone, gone messed up. They're actually becoming a more all-rounded human being, and that—that's what I think this conversation is really important because, yeah, sometimes the the, the mental side of injuries, yeah, just not spoken enough about or, or understood enough. So, and um, what I think might be useful now, Gary, is is maybe to go into the idea about you know breaking the injuries down into maybe three different sections, and and again, it might be a little bit difficult, but this is part of the conversation we can have. And I was kind of thinking around the mentality or the different mentalities required for maybe say a short-term injury, maybe a week or two, also a medium-term injury, which might be one to three months and also long-term, which might be six months plus. Um, so when I put that on the table, uh, do you think we could explore each of those three categories and see if there's a different mentality for, should we start with a shorter one? How does that sound to you?
3: Yeah, um, Definitely let's say, you know, my, my primary role is as a, a strength and conditioning coach, uh, but I am a qualified sports therapist. So I tend to work with players in the sort of later stages of injury. So they had that initial injury, they had the physio, whatever that kind of short term is, I tend to pick up um, in the longer term, but I have worked with uh, you know, a, a short term rehab population on, mm-hmm. on occasion. I think, I think it's interesting that that first stage, I think there is that huge psychological component that, you know, you don't, know whether that player has had input over the years. So when that injury first occurs and you know even the to two afterwards are in a lot of pain, they're thinking they're going to be out for a long time. It is really important straight away to 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 give that support and reassurance. And I know from from my studies, any of the the sort of sports therapy qualifications I've ever done, I've never had any any input on that about, you know, how do we how do we talk to the athlete, how how do we reassure them, how how do we guide them, how do we comfort them? Um, As I understand it now that there is a lot more of a a focus on that with um, sort of medical and and physio training. But certainly when I did my qualifications going back sort of 12, 15 years ago. um, Yeah, you know, we, 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 we a lot of so it's not so much that I don't think people want to provide that. I just think some people haven't been trained to some people don't have. You know, you can be the best physiotherapist, best sports therapist in the world. But if you've not got great communication skills and the ability to actually uh, connect with somebody. So, again, you know, we're talking about the, these injuries from a, a psychological perspective. There has to be a support kind of emotionally and, and even just developing a rapport with the athlete. And I think that's sometimes
0: neglected. Mm. That's really good. That's really, really nice to say. And, and um, so. How do you, how do you personally do it? Cause, cause I can imagine you've got some, some athletes that have been injured and that are getting injured and, you know, you're having to, you know, maybe put on a bit of a psychologist hat also at some point, um, what, what type of language are you using? How are you, how are you speaking to your athletes? You, know, you can give some examples. You don't have to give names, but examples of how you would try, you know, empathize with the athlete, how you would speak to them.
3: Yeah, I mean you said about the sort of three stages of short, medium, long. So that short term in, in the in the beginning is yeah, very much that that immediate support and then just being being an ear and, and listening and, and and letting them get those sort of things out. And and then it's going back to what I said before, you know, hopefully if it's someone I've been working with for a while, I can make them understand, look, we've discussed this that this, this was inevitable. You were gonna get injured at mm-hmm. some point. We 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 can't control that. But now I, I like to to try and reframe things and and say, right, well, okay, um, treat this as a reset, you know, you've been doing a lot of training lately, you've played a lot of games, you know, whatever their situation is, you know, we're going to have a little bit of time now where well, we can stop and we can take stock, we can we can talk about what your goals are, we can maybe train other areas, you know, maybe if you've injured, so you sank in the lower body, we can say, okay, let, let's think about can we build a little bit of strength in in our shoulders, can, can we work on mobility, can we work on core strength, just, just talking about different things that we can do and and try and you know present it almost as an opportunity. Um of course being injured isn't isn't a good thing. It's mm. you, know, you, you are trying to convince people of something that, that they might not immediately be receptive to. But it is for me, it's trying to get that that reframing process of moving away from, oh no, I'm injured. I'm not going to be able to play. This is going to affect the rest of my career. To mm. actually know, okay, we've got a little bit of time now. We can sit back, take stock of things. Some people, and and you know, certainly in Talking about the football and squash, there there is a lot of load on players. They're playing games every couple of days. They're training every day. Actually, the injury process of, of enforced rest can actually be physically quite beneficial and and psychologically beneficial once they get past that initial hurdle. Mm. So I have seen a lot of players come back from injury in a better state than they were before. And as I say, that's that short and medium term. Long term, you know, there are other issues there that we can talk about in in a moment but certainly mm-hmm. that short and medium term for me it's about reframing things and and yeah and I've used this exactly these words with with players before and and again it goes back to what I said about being primed if there are young athletes that that have had this sort of framework in place they understand that the whole you know sporting network and, and and how their pathway as an athlete will develop then it's much easier to to get them to buy into those kinds of concepts mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, again, very, very well said. And and you know, when when I read one of your blogs recently, and and you know, we spoke about this before we started recording it. You know, it's that changing that narrative from what I can't do to what I can do. And I thought, like, that's 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 really, really powerful. It's again, you use reframing. I love that. It's 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 language I use a lot in 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 my um conversations. And yeah, changing from can't to can is is really big. Uh, do you want to expand on that real quickly? The can't to can narrative. You've almost said it, but you know, like like how do you you know, I'm kind of thinking of an example. Let, let me kind of hopefully help you. What about? Have you seen it from the other way? And what I mean by that, an athlete that's injured, right? That that is on a road to recovery, but they they actually really never mentally get over it, and actually they might even end their careers and stop actually prematurely. Um, does anything come to mind about that 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 slight negative side when the can't is so big when it just it it just it just completely immerses people? Um, what's your thoughts on that?
3: I think that that goes into to what you said a moment ago about we're sort of looking at the three stages. This is that longer term, isn't it? When mm. you get players that, um, you know, they might have been suffering with the same injury for a long time. It might not be healing as they'd hoped it would. They might not be dealing with the whole process very well. Um I would still employ the same kind of approach of still trying to, you know, support them, reassure them and say, look, we can as you say, what what can we do? Right? We can work a little bit more on strengthening those those shoulders. We can do a little bit more upper body kind of cardio work. We can swim. You know, we trying to think of opportunities of, of different things and and new things. Um, but that that I think is the hardest stage. I think the long term, most players have an immediate reaction to injury, which is obviously very negative, but you know, you, you can work with them. And a lot of them do kind of buy into that. But I've worked with players that, you know, have had injuries that have been lasting a year, two years, um, and they come back and then they get injured again and, and they go back. And and there's only so many times you can kind of reframe it and present those ideas of the can and the can't. And, you know, at some point after two years that that kind of language and and approach perhaps doesn't work as well. Um, and that's where you, you try and become, I, I I certainly do, become a friend to them. You know, we, we can talk and we can go out for dinner and, and, and you know, just... Pre- instead of just treating them purely as an athlete, you know, because they are a, a human being and, and we want to provide as much support as we can. And I think sometimes, you know, you see that with, with physios and coaches, right? You're injured and, you know, let us know when you're, when you're back and, and then we'll crack on again. Whereas if I'm working with someone closely, I want to be there to support them and, and provide, you know, what I can in terms of support. And it does blur the line a little bit between work and and, and personal. And, you know, maybe that isn't always, a great thing for for some people but i feel that is my responsibility as a as a coach and, and working with somebody something interesting you know we, we touched briefly a moment ago on how i'm not a huge um believer in a lot of these kind of um alternative therapies should we mm-hmm. say but but what has been shown with with A lot of those kind of of approaches is because like reiki as you you say is a good example it's about magical healing powers from the hands which isn't really something that i I would buy into but in a typical appointment if you're working with an alternative therapist it's not like going to see your gp where you've got 10 minutes or a physio you might Mm. have you know you'll have like an hour's appointment and and they've shown that that alone that that fact that somebody's going to sit there and listen to you that is why a lot of people do get some benefits from alternative therapy there's placebo effects and other things going on there as well Mm -hmm. but certainly that personal support of of being there and talking and listening you know we're not there purely to to dictate and you know here's your rehab program come back to me in six weeks you know i want to be there and help that person and that's what i think some therapists do really well and and you know i think certainly the the more science-based approach that i follow we could learn a lot a lot from those people about how to actually treat the whole person rather than just the athlete
1: a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com
0: Hmm. Yeah, I yeah, put across in a in a really really good way, and, and again, it's got, got my cogs turning a little bit because, yeah, again, seeing it from the outside, it's like there's your there's your rehab program, there's your physio, see you later, come back reporting when 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 you when you when you're fixed in inverted commas, and actually the, the fixing is is a lot more, and 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 what some of the words came to mind as you're speaking, compassion is quite an interesting word. Um empathy is another word. And it's not, it's not sympathy. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, because empathy is trying to put yourself in their shoes a little bit. And actually, yeah, if you if you're talking to your athletes or, or if the athletes have an outlet where they feel they can be heard or understood, even even if it's just them offloading their frustrations, you know, there might not even be a solution to the back of that. But uh, yeah, it's actually one of the areas that I'm becoming more and more interested in is that yeah, the the kind of the the non scientific therapy in a way, and again, yes, it's not hopefully woo woo wishy washy stuff because it definitely has something, some merit there, and and yeah, how how we can kind of lend itself together. So if you were working with an athlete, again, let's talk about the long term, and let's just stay with that for a sec. And um, it sounds like you do it naturally, like you 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 show that compassion, you show that empathy, you become a little bit more of a, uh, an ear to listen to would you would you recommend or signpost athletes to seek that side of things out obviously if you're working with a physical trainer and they could be a world-leading expert in regard to rehab and getting the injury sorted but maybe it's a bit bit clinical you know any any advice for athletes to try and get that balance right do you think i think it's it's finding appropriate
3: professionals to support you i'm talking a lot here about what i try and do and how i try to help and you know I'm, i'm qualified to do this and that but yeah, I'm. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not not somebody that's got a, uh, you know, a formal degree qualification in that field. So it's advising players to seek out that help. And again, it's not just saying you know, have a have a Google search. Good luck. It's it's about trying to provide, you know, again, part of the journey is working with them. Let's try and find you somebody that you can talk to. Let's find somebody there that that can give you. You know, more professional um, support. I can be there as as a as a companion and, and and as a friend in many ways. You know, you you try and be there for them in in that perspective. But yeah, you have to recognise that if there's a, a serious psychological manifestation that, that that's that's damaging to them, then they do need to work with somebody um, that that can help them with that. And mm-hmm. you know, we talk a lot in in this kind of country of the, the stigma of of mental health and and all these other things you know, injury and, and I've read research that, that says that injury is one of the biggest triggers for a breakdown in mental health in mm-hmm. athletes. It, it, it's such a a factor in that. And, and we as again, as coaches, as professionals, we need to be providing help and support. And and that part of that is understanding what you can do yourself as the coach and, and also understanding what you can't do and what they need more help with. And, and again, it just comes back to that whole network of when i talk about what i was doing in in football i was working with uh, with wickham wonders who were a very small club at the time in from a professional level um and there was quite a lot of hats you had to wear as as a strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist you know we would give input into nutrition um obviously training and and some elements of psychology you go to the to the bigger clubs now you look at your man uniteds and your liverpools they've got five people doing every single one of those in in Mm. jobs. So whereas we at Wickham had a a staff of maybe four people um, at Manchester United, they might have 20 people. So again, these players are being better signposted to the appropriate person. Mm. Um, And again, when you're working in a smaller sport, like a squash, that isn't possible. Players come to me and and I'm providing injury therapy, rehab, strength and conditioning, nutrition, psychology, you're trying to cover all these things and, and you want to give somebody the best advice that you can but you do need to understand that that sometimes what you're providing is is outside it's outside your scope and and you've got to help players to find the best people to give them the best guidance and and support at at any stage of their kind of rehab
0: journey Hmm. i love that i think the the kind of the like people's biggest strengths is knowing their weaknesses I, yeah. I quite i quite like that that that's a real powerful way because rather than going hey i've got strength in all areas which none of us have it's kind of going okay like i've got my strengths but actually i know my weaknesses as much as i know my strengths and i'm i'm going to signpost people to the mm-hmm. right people that can do that i think that's really important but along the lines of of the football team and change, i thought this was quite interesting and and you may or may not know this but um i can't remember where it was it was definitely a premier league football team but along the lines of I think they put such high value in the massage person, the person who was massaging the players because that person, like sometimes the players never thought they could go speak to the boss about some issue or they didn't, they were like hiding an injury. And actually then the mental side of the injuries, but they were on the massage table and they would open up. They would actually open up because that person wouldn't go tell on them to the bosses, but actually there was, there was a, a little connection somewhere where the bosses or the managers would actually consult with those massage therapists because the players felt so at ease to just go, oh, I'm struggling with this part of my life. I really don't want to do this. This injury is hurting in a way, or, or it might stop me from playing. Have you ever heard that or come across that? I thought that was really interesting when I heard that. It's really interesting. And the
3: massage is, is a very interesting one without going off on too much of a tangent. Um when you look at the research into massage, there's not actually that much physiologically going on you know when you look at the research and you look at sort of um physical indicators of you know changes of, of what's happening within the body there's not very much that really happens in the body when you have a massage it feels nice um and as you say you might get that connection with your therapist and the research suggests that massage is good it's not saying not to have it but why it's good the mechanics of it are, are very kind of gray and um Certainly when I did my degree, my dissertation was on um, recovery methods and I looked at squash and we looked at active recovery or massage. And I found the same that the massage did help people. They felt better. You know, we we couldn't kind of pinpoint what the exact physical improvement was, if any, but -hmm. they felt better from it. Um, and yeah like you're saying there when when you're talking to the masseur as well you've got someone there that's you know rubbing your back it feels good you're chatting away you're going to come out of that massage from feeling great and whether or not anything has actually changed within your body is is uh, is another question Um, Mm. but yeah definitely and and it goes back to that that kind of alternative therapy I was talking about I think just talking to people it it sounds so obvious but just being there in a in a non-threatening environment so you know sitting across the desk to your your manager is is not going to be a very comfortable environment laying on a table with you know nice music and whale sounds on and someone rubbing <laughs> your legs you know you're going to relax and things are going to come out and yeah mm. it, it just shows that there's so many factors and there's so many things mm. to consider you know it's it's such a huge area when we look at anything from a kind mm. of psychological perspective that there are no exact black and white right and wrong it's it's learning and understanding and sharing and, and just trying to provide the best atmosphere for for athletes that we mm. can
0: yeah, that 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 talking piece is important, isn't it? You know, just keep talking, keep talking, keep opening up. And I think what I'm hearing from you, Gary, um you're slowly turning the cogs into kind of into this this alternative therapy as we go through this conversation.
3: <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do a bit of, uh, bit of research after the call. i see what I can
0: come up with. <laughs> um, we haven't spoken about this yet. Um, and I'm not sure how much you speak with athletes about this, but the support network, if we if we're gonna kind of keep looking through the lens of the slightly long term, the the difficulties these athletes have, family, friends, support network around the athletes. Um, you you've obviously said yourself that that you like to make sure the athlete is well looked after. Um, do you ever help with the athlete? Or not help, but you know, make sure that there's some form of support network from friends and family around the athlete. Any, any thoughts on that?
3: There are always issues with with privacy and and sort of sure. data security and but yeah I have had athletes where I've spoken to people I know they were close to and said look you know that they need some support and and help here and and often it'll be like wow they haven't said anything to me and it's like well yeah they haven't and and that's where you need to kind of maybe open that conversation um and, and help them because a lot of people just don't understand you know mm-hmm. how that whole process works so yeah definitely the other thing as well. there's always going to be some pledge or athletes that you work with that yeah you you know you, you've got a perfectly good professional relationship but you know you haven't really got much in common you know if i'm working with an 18 year old budding professional footballer we haven't really got much of a, a similar sort of frame of reference so that's sometimes trying to identify other people that, that can talk to them and help them teammates and and whatever else so again as a coach you, you do need to be aware of of what other support is available to them and, and how you can kind of prime that to be the most beneficial. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome again so we're gonna we're gonna move on from this now we're gonna try to talk a little bit about um, kind of the next few phases of, of some of the conversation that I think I would like to go with you. So what about the fear of letting go and the PTSD of say re-injury again? Cause you, you obviously come across that athletes are are back or they, again, whether you say they're hundred percent back or the physio says they're hundred percent back, but there's a mental fear of the re-injury and PTSD of that injury thoughts on that. I think it's it's often
3: something that takes a lot longer to get rid of than, than the physical cause. I think there's going to be that, especially in, in a long-term injury and you've been back and you've been out. You know, I can think of one or two players that I've worked with that, that we went through this. Um, and the biggest thing was you know, they'd come off after a training session or after a game. Oh, look, I can still feel it. It's still there. And it's, it's getting them to understand it will still be there. You know, when you come back from a a rehab process. It's very rare to to be completely, you don't feel anything there anymore. You feel a million dollars. You know, being an athlete, especially as you get older when you get into your sort of late 20s, early 30s, very few athletes in any sport are going to walk onto their pitch or their court and feel a million dollars. That there's always going to be something there um, and it shouldn't be something that, that stops them playing, but it's understanding that if you come back from a chronic, long-term injury, it's not you're not just going to wake up one morning and it's gone. It, it, it's it's a journey of every day getting a little bit better, getting a little bit better, and thinking about that that kind of growth mindset that that you can move beyond it, and, and it's something that will get better. Um, mm-hmm. But if your physio's cleared you to come back, and the physio thinks they are okay, and I've done the rehab, and, and we think you know you you've, you're strong enough, and, and and you're in a position to get back on there um that doesn't mean that mentally they're in the best place to get back on there so that that kind of rehab process almost stops at some point from a physical perspective they're still going to be doing certain exercises sort of remedial stuff that needs to be done but that psychological support might need to be going on longer term until they're back and and happy and confident um and and back closely to what they felt they were before the
0: injury Mm. so it sounds similar to what you've already said like keep talking keep an open line of communication again you as the, the 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 trainer that 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 empathy that compassion you know really understanding that 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 it's okay it's okay to feel rubbish it's okay to not feel like you are um and and what I'm hearing you say and it, it's a, a word I personally am a very big fan of acceptance mm-hmm. the, like the whole acceptance and acceptance can be perceived as a bit of a passive like let's just lay down and die but actually i like to think of dynamic acceptance like because acceptance is the first step towards positive action isn't it you accept where you're at then we can put a positive action in place so do you keep understand or kind of trying to make sure that acceptance is a big part of this overall process yeah and and i think it's
3: to to have acceptance you need honesty and, and openness um and that's, I think, one of the issues with with football. You know, having worked in that environment over the years, it's not a word I use often because it has different connotations. But I, I do think a lot of football dressing rooms are, are toxic. You know, in, in the sense that there's banter flying around, but often that is just insults and and bullying. And if you've got someone that is a little bit injury prone and they're given, you know, the nickname, a sick note or whatever. And, you know, they're, oh, you're not, you know, injured again today. Oh, you just want to have a, have a quick massage. And and that, that kind of whole thing, we're talking about acceptance and and sort of buying into the whole universal kind of whole holistic perspective of the athlete. If if you feel in your training environment, in your sort of dressing room environment that, that you haven't got that support and understanding, then that acceptance becomes a very difficult thing because you're, mm. you're not surrounded by people you think have your best interests at heart. So again, you no know, support network, it's, I think it's changing now, but certainly, you know, I played a, a reasonable level of football and yeah, some of the things that went on in the change rooms were horrible looking back now and then you think, wow, no, no wonder some people would, you know, just back out of the sport completely. Um, mm. So yeah, you know, to, to sort of talk about acceptance generally, I, I think it's an acceptance, not just from the individual, but but everybody has to be kind of aware of the, the intricacies
0: of, of what goes on be interesting to know the, uh, I'm sure maybe you even felt it, but, but the, the subconscious and the subliminal, you know, messages. Yeah. You know, it can be bent and you laugh it off and you're there with your mates and all that stuff. But, actually like you know are you taking that home with you are you uh, is there is there that baggage of wow and then you start to believe in that narrative you know i'm Definitely. very big on yeah inner voice and 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 the language we use and how we see ourselves move through this world and obviously we can't control those external forces right you know very stoic thinking we can you know we, we we control our response we can't control what happens right but yeah equally so that's a hard one it's a hard one to get balance isn't it um maybe in an individual sport it's a bit easier uh, possibly in a team sport that that becomes more difficult if the environment is toxic, like you said. So um, this might be a tough question or just a very open question. When should an athlete get back to training and competing again? I think it's it's when the physio
3: or the strength and conditioning coach or whoever is dealing with the the physical rehab decides that they're ready. Then the athlete needs to then be told that they're physically ready but then again there needs to be that conversation are they mentally ready and i think it's i don't think there's an exact time frame i think that's one of the questions we always get asked you know even by the athlete so when am i going to be back when am i going to be back and it 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 takes time it takes time to to repair um and it takes time to repair mentally to to be ready so yeah maybe i'm I'm dancing around the the answer there i i don't know i don't know I Mm -hmm. i think it is in my experience Maybe the experience is part of it. You kind of get conversations. you you get feedback from the athlete. You start to understand, okay, i I think this person is now ready as to what the exact numbers and and data would be. yeah, we we can provide that physically, but mentally, yeah, you, mm-hmm. what you don't want is a player to rush back and they're not quite ready and they've still got doubts and concerns because then they're going to be more likely to injure themselves. you you see it with them. Um, players that are rushed back from injury certainly at an elite kind of football premier league level and you can see it in the player that they're they're reluctant one of one of the biggest ones that you see is that they'll you know there's a 50 50 challenge coming in the players coming flying towards them and they just pull out of the challenge completely And you see it so often you know if you watch players that have been injured watch their first match back and, and you'll see occasions mm. where they just pull out of of challenges and that to me says they're not ready because they're a, they're going to be potentially more likely to re-injure themselves because they're not going into things with full commitment, and then B, there becomes that pressure from their teammates, from the manager, even from fans at a higher level. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what exactly I would say is is what I'm waiting for, but in my experience, I feel that I know when I think a player is ready to go back, and, and that mm-hmm. is, you know, it's 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 a, a massive a massive area.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you've said it really, really well. I think you've described it. I can just imagine all those scenarios and the conversations with the physio and yourself and when they're back competing, how they're holding, holding back from these things, whether it's throwing the lunge out and squash or hitting the overhead smash in tennis or whatever it is, you know, whatever injury it is, it's it's that, it's that full commitment. But and again, it goes back to that that previous question, that PTSD of the re-injury. Again, it's it's such a tricky balancing act, isn't it? And then- uh, there's probably... you come back too early, that's the thing.
3: You've said it yourself there, like an overhead smash or a lunge, and you, you don't, you then- you're scared of the action. So you don't do that action. So you then lose the rally. You then lose a the point. You lose the game. You lose the match. And now you're on a downward spiral mentally because although physically, you, you know, your physio said you're ready to go, you're not ready to go. And then you lose and then, and then your confidence suffers. So bringing players back, I read a quote once, I'm not sure I quite agree with it, but it kind of made sense. It was, you know, from a physio's perspective, you know, saying about a player, wait until that player is completely physically clear, completely mentally clear and then make them wait another two weeks. It was always, you know, it's better to have too much time than not enough. And, you know, I know we've all, mm. as athletes, people have short careers, but an extra couple of weeks in the scheme of things, you know, is, is
0: sometimes worth the, uh, mm. worth the the, the effects. Yeah, no, no sounds right. Okay. So maybe looking at athletes that have to play and compete with an injury. So, you know, there's unavoidable circumstances. They, they need to play for whatever reason, I think, think off the top of my head, what that might be, but, you know, do you have any thoughts on this or any advice for, for people listening that might go, wow, we're injured, but we actually still need to get out there and compete. What, what do you think on that? Often with, with amateur players, they haven't got the same access to the medical professionals
3: and, and, and experts that, that professional players have, but I still feel that you, you need to to speak to somebody suitably qualified professionally. We often use the analogy of a car. You know, if you, your windscreen wipers aren't working or the engines making funny noises, you're not just going to sort of leave it and hope it gets better. You, you go to a mechanic. So with your body, if you are an amateur athlete and you're having issues in certain areas, then, you know, you do at some point need to speak to a professional and what, what you'll get often is an indicator of what the issue is. And this is the same for professionals. Um, is the injury something that's going to be made worse by playing on it? Or can you just, you know, go through and and, and is, is the, the physio saying, look, you know what, there is an issue there, but playing on it isn't going to make it any worse if you do your rehab and you can continue playing. And so, yeah, I, I think first and foremost, whatever level you're at, you need to get the advice that playing on an injury isn't going to make it worse, because obviously if it's going to make it worse, then you shouldn't mm. be. But also, yeah, if, if, if you've got someone that said, you know what you've got there you know you might have some slight tendinitis but actually carrying on through it isn't going to make it worse it will gradually you know heal and and you see this a lot with, with young athletes actually when they're coming to getting you know the growing pains osgood slatters is quite a common one through the knee and things like that and sometimes the physio say look you know it, you have to manage the injury you have to do the right thing you have to warm it up properly you have to treat it after you have to do your remedial exercises but actually playing on it um is okay and as long as you've got that clearance, as long as, you know, that that's almost that reassurance, isn't it, that, that someone said to you look, it is going to be painful, but mm-hmm. you can still play on it. And I think that's the reassurance. Whereas if you've just got a little bit of a niggle and you maybe as an amateur athlete haven't been able to see a physio or as a professional athlete, you might be trying to hide it because you don't want to lose your place in the team or lose your qualification events that that is a lot harder because you don't understand you don't know what's happening in the body so for me it's education it's understanding um and getting that support and reassurance and if the physio says it's fine you know great i I feel i can go on and do it now if i'm trying to not tell anybody or i haven't spoken to anybody there's always you know subconsciously and there's going to be that thing in the back of your mind of you know what what am i
0: doing am i going to make this this injury worse Mm. No, sound advice there, Gary. That that yeah, really solid stuff for anyone listening. So, I, I know uh, on the education piece, here, I know you give advice um, that athletes should maybe read up and educate themselves about their injury. Why do you think this is important? It goes back to my previous answer about just understanding what's going on,
3: having a better awareness of, of what's happening within your body. Um, going back to one of the very first things we said, injury is inevitable. But if you've prepared yourself, if you understand the mechanisms mechanisms of injury, understand what common injuries are for your sport, if, if you're aware of all those kind of things um, – I wouldn't say it's um, not scare tactics is maybe the wrong word, but if you make sure an athlete is fully aware of of what can go wrong and, and how these injuries can affect you, that sometimes encourages them to be a little bit more diligent with all those other things. Like I said, the strengthening and warming up correctly and living the right lifestyle, eating the right food, you know, getting enough sleep. Um, I think, you know, understanding how the body works and how the body reacts to different stresses and strains I think all athletes, all serious athletes should have a good understanding of the body and,
0: and certainly the sort of relevant mechanisms to their own sport. Mm. This might be quite an obvious um, little question here, but um, I, I'm sure you can unpack it in a more educated way than, than me. So what's the best thing that someone can do? So an athlete that feels something is going wrong in their body. So, so the their injury might have, obviously the big one is quite obvious, but I'm kind of thinking, what are they doing once that injuries happen? What, what's the best things they can start to do for themselves right away? Having a, a
3: physio or a sports therapist that, that you have an open relationship with is, is important. I think instead of saying, right, I've got an injury, I'm going to find a physio on Google, I'm going to ring them up, I'm going to go and see them. If you're someone that takes their sport seriously, even if you're an amateur player, this is this is no different in my opinion. If you've got somebody that you see regularly, you know, it's almost like a checkup, you know, every month, every six weeks, the athletes I work with, I say, look, you know, if I can provide that or another physio that, that you're seeing, just have that discussion with them actually i'm feeling a little bit tightness here or that's a little bit sore if you have that kind of ongoing so you nip things in the bud that way don't you You, you, you're not just going to you know you're not reacting to to pain and then going to see a physio and starting from square one i think seeing a a physio same as with people with their their doctors their 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 gps a lot of people never go for a checkup they only go when they're ill And, and so you never develop that kind of you want your your fitness therapist conditioning coach whatever whatever you're sort of working with you want them to have an ongoing dialogue so they understand you and and you have a good relationship with them and and things can then be be treated in the early stages um with a complete understanding of your
0: physical history as well Mm. Mate, some sound advice here i'm loving this this is yeah i know people listening are going to really kind of absorb this so um listen i think we, we we've gone through a lot of this today but i thought maybe a nice place to start to bring this to a close is you know, any final thoughts you could maybe please leave the listeners with in regard to injuries and the mental side of handling them? Cause we've really gone down this rabbit hole really deep in one subject. Um, it might be stuff you've mentioned. We might not have mentioned anything so far that you think might be worth uh, mentioning now, but yeah, any final thoughts for the listeners?
3: Get stronger. That's, that's, you know, the, the basis of everything I do is, is get stronger. Um, you know, I've, I've played sport and I've competed at a, a reasonable level. Um, and I, I haven't had many, you know. Maybe I'm, I'm tempting fate here, but I've I haven't had many serious injuries. Uh, I haven't missed any extended periods. And yeah, some people say, "Oh, you know, you're lucky." And I, I don't think it is luck. I think I've been diligent with my training, with my work over the years. And you know, I, th- I think the fact that I've got an understanding of that helps me as a as a coach. And and that's the point I get across to players. I'm not just saying this because I read it in a book. You know, it's my experience with other athletes. It's my own personal experience, you know, getting stronger, doing all, all the necessary things off of the pitch or off of the court. Mm. That is what's going to keep you on the pitch and on the court. That that training environment is, is so important. Um, and something else, you know, from drifting away slightly, but still sort of mentally... A, a sort of mental concept to think about is, is trying to identify with, with players, you know, sometimes as a younger athlete, it might be hard for them to answer that question themselves. But, but as a coach, where, where does their motivation come from? Are they intrinsically motivated or are they extrinsically motivated? And I know something you've, you've spoken about on the podcast and other things you've done before. So, if a player is coming to me and saying, right, I want to do this and, and I want to do this and, and how do I improve this? You tell straight away it's an intrinsic motivation that they want to get better. Those are the players that you you know are going to continue to improve because they're doing mm-hmm. it for themselves. But the extrinsic motivation, so this tends to be more with younger players, because normally if you become a professional athlete, then you've obviously got that that intrinsic motivation to to, to succeed. But I find with with sometimes younger players, a couple I'm working with at the moment, and I only ever hear from their parents when I talk to the player themselves, it's there's very, very little coming back from. Them. But then the parents say, right, they want to do this and do that. And you can tell that the all of that that push is coming from the parent, or even, you know, with with professionals, it can be the coach. Um, and again, to me, those players are at more risk of developing injuries and things like that because they're just not they're not invested in the process. They're doing it almost because they feel they have to do it. And I think, you know, if 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 an athlete is old enough and mature enough to recognise that, and you as a coach, if you're working with younger players, if you recognise that, that to me is very important as well. Because if they're not doing it for themselves, if they're not doing it for those right reasons, there's going to be more, in my opinion, more risks associated with them because they're not going to be having the same discipline and dedication because they're only doing it because they've been told to do it. Mm.
0: Mate, pearls of wisdom there. Really, really strong, strong kind of final message there. So no, thanks for sharing. And listen, Gary, you've been an absolute treat today. I know sometimes one subject going deep, it, it kind of can become a bit of a mental strain. So, but hopefully you've enjoyed putting this across today. I've really enjoyed sitting here, learning about it, absorbing. And, and genuinely, I, I know when I'm going to listen back to this, there's going to be so many little nuggets that are come up, going to come out of this. So thank you so much. But um, in a very final place to close, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? If someone that is listening is interested in contacting you to maybe get some advice or some education or to, or to run a program with you can you signpost people where to find you yeah i've got a
3: website twitter instagram uh, i go under the handle of unique fitness solutions uh but if you just search gary nisbet fitness there's not too many gary nisbet's out there so i'm relatively easy to find um but yeah, you know, I'm always happy to, to to talk to people. And I think even that initial kind of contact, if you're an athlete and you're thinking about trying something different, just having an open and a, a frank conversation, you know, I think that's a great starting point. So anybody that's listened to this, anything that I've said, you know, feels that saying that, that you can identify with, just, just get in touch and we can have a chat and see what I can do to to help. I mean, awesome. that's what it is, isn't it? We're here to help people grow and, and improve.
0: And, you know, it's a, a good thing to put back into the world. 100%. Again, really, really well said. Gary, you've been an absolute treat. Thank you so much for your time today. And listen, I look forward to catching up with you soon in person. Thanks, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Great to chat.